Hello, everyone. We've got a great discussion today. More crypto for good today on the Your Mark on the World show with Bob Reed, the CEO of Everest. So stick around. You don't want to miss this. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show with your champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you. Tell us about Everest. So Everest is a platform to actually tackle some of the bigger problems facing all of humanity, which are range from billion people without uh, digital identity or any identity at all, uh, economic inclusion, let's call it three to four billion people living in utter poverty. And so we uh, developed a platform, if you will, a full economic solution to actually address all of those, right? By taking, if you will, the bottom of the pyramid and giving them not only digital identity, but a wallet and a way to actually transact with institutions. Uh, and simultaneously giving institutions like governments, banks, hospitals, all large organizations that actually need to work and transfer value with those few billion people at the bottom of the pyramid, a way to actually transfer value and transact in a, you know, a seamless good way. Uh, the net result, obviously, is we take a few billion people out of, as I call it, seventh century uh, economy into the 21st digital economy. Yeah, it's uh, really a promising technology. What does the device look like? Is this uh, an app for a smartphone? What, what do you envision here? That's a fantastic question. Uh, yeah, it, it's beyond an app. It's a full platform. That is, if you want to actually tackle these problems, you have to be beyond a device, right? There's, there's only 2.1 to 2.4 billion smartphones in the world. So that means there's about 5 billion people without a smartphone, right? Um, so what we built is, if you will think of biometric identity, right? So uh, we scan fingerprints and face to start with. We also pull in all third party claims like a government ID or even like a village chief or LinkedIn, Facebook, or your power company. We pull that all together and then put a wallet around it. And that goes either on a smartphone, if you have it, but it also goes into distributed storage. So in the cloud. Now, what's interesting about this piece is it's actually the user owns that database. So they literally they're the only ones that are able to turn that on and off or actually share data out of that, I call a digital locker. Now, what that means is a user can go up to a webcam, like we are today, uh, or an agent uh, that actually has a smartphone, but they can show up shirt on their back, scan their face, fingers, enter a pin, and actually get access to their wallet, right? Say, yes, I wanna share my medical records, or yes, I wanna receive a payment, or I wanna send a remittance. Etc. So it's all, if you will, uh, uh, I call it distributed storage or cloud-based. Also, yeah, yeah, fascinating, fascinating technology. And the uh, where are you in the development cycle? Good uh, question. So we prototyped it uh, at the end of last year into January and showed it for the first time in the United Nations in January and the World Bank uh, also in the beginning of February. Uh, we took our alpha 
product and actually installed it in one of the largest banks in the world, a, well, a Bretton Woods institution I'm not allowed to name. <laughs> um, and actually showed remittances going cross-border and then also payments. That is, how do you actually pay civil servants or teachers in very hard to reach places, emerging markets. Um, from there, we've actually signed up now Ministry of Health of Cambodia on how to manage maternal health care, so health records and if you'll, data management, especially with uh, folks that don't have smartphones or access to lots of technology. Uh, we also signed up the Indonesian government. Uh, so our first trial with them is the uh, Ministry of Energy. So they're currently the Ministry of Energy moves $7 billion to 50 million users. And there's lots of leakage. It's, it's inefficient and there's lots of friction in that. Uh, and it's not, if you'll not, all of the money's getting to the right place the right way. And so it, we love this example because it actually highlights a lot of, well, the features of our system. So you can envision Ministry of Energy goes through a, you know, one of the banks who sends a transaction to a user. Now, it's a cryptographically signed transaction across a blockchain, right? ours, right? Mm -hmm. um, very cost effective, very fast, uh, all publicly auditable. And then it goes to a biometrically verified wallet. So if the user has a phone, great, shows up in their wallet, they scan their face fingers and they get their energy subsidy. If they don't, they go up to, if you will, a tablet, scan their face or fingers and boom. And what happens there is the government goes, we know exactly that that $5 subsidy for a woman that needs to go actually get cooking oil and cook for the month, they made sure it got to her in Sulawesi or where have you. Right. And so we solved all the leakage issues there. Um, That's a really uh, a fascinating application and uh, great to see that you're making some progress in the field. What are the lessons you're learning from the field implementations that you've got going in Cambodia and elsewhere? We're finding, um, if you will, uh, our, that we have to communicate uh, better. There's the technology we know works, the, the tech actually, although the intellectual property and the architecture around it is very elegant and we're quite proud of it. Um, the real rub is literally uh, making sure this works in the field. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, the governments we've dealt with so far, um, everyone's like, oh, sometimes you know, emerging markets can be very corrupt. And what we're finding is quite the opposite. You get into the centralized central governments, like they wanna be transparent. They wanna deliver services to their users. They're actually really invested in trying to help their their citizenry but what we have to do is as we go through that chain of the banks and then if you will the distributors and then the actual last 50 feet we have to be able to communicate to that entire ecosystem why this matters and, and how it helps and so that's a piece of like that's on the ground stuff um, and so we've signed up uh, a bunch of system integrators that have done this for a while um, to help us with that that's great um, as you uh, look at the consumers who are beginning to utilize the system, how do they experience this? What are the, what's the feedback you're getting from them? Uh, do they 
sounds like there's not a password to lose. Are they able to capture value that they store there when they come back to it? Are they able to find their medical records when they come back? Are they, is it working as you'd hoped? So, so far, uh, the glib answer is we don't know. And I'll tell you where we're headed, uh, which is right now we do functional use cases. Like let's deliver the energy subsidy. Let's go ahead and deliver, for example, medical record management for clinics and hospitals and users. Right? But again, this architecture leads to something so much bigger. Um, I'll give you a sense. Uh, one of our advisors is the ex-president of Estonia. Uh, who literally put the entire government and all government services in Estonia on the blockchain. And he was the one that pointed out, he's like, look, normally large systems, specifically governments, have, you have cryptographic identity, biometrics in emerging markets, and a service platform. These are the two things. And from that, if you have both, you can actually manage all value transfer. You literally can run, and we've architected it to do so, like 25, 30% of the entire global economy. Right. So to answer your question, we're doing functional right now of here's the energy subsidy. But once those users are on board, we can actually now offer those users microfinance. We can offer the same users remittances. Right. And so that's the piece where we need well, it'll take a couple of years. Functional use case. We think they, they're going to get pretty quickly. You're gonna go like, Great. This is my energy subsidy thing. But a couple months later, then they're going to go, oh, wait, this is bigger than that. I can now get a loan. I can get hospital access. I can go to the pharmacy, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, if you were broadening our, uh, our service offering in that case. Yeah. So many of us, when we think about uh, blockchain, we think about Bitcoin. Uh, and when we think about Bitcoin, one of the things that comes to mind is vast amounts of energy being used to record a proof of work, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, is there a mining process required for your system to work? So we designed a system that is incredibly energy efficient. Uh, we do not do a proof of work uh, or a proof of stake. What we did is we designed, uh, we have two chains. Um, one is a proof of authority network that we designed so that no one has the authority. That is, we don't have the authority, governments, institutions, or nonprofits, they don't have the authority. And in making it so, it becomes autonomous, right? So that, as I said, the user-owned database, that user identity, uh, literally, it's an autonomous network that can't be turned off. And that's never been done before, if you will. Like, at some point, a government or Google or Facebook or a bank can always turn that database off. In our case, this can never be turned off and only the user has access to it. So that's really, I think it's unique and only possible in the last couple of years, uh, you know, with cloud and blockchain technology. So again, proof of authority where no one has authority, um, which you wanna get into the privacy and governance issues, like we're about the most private identity solution I've ever seen. Like I, I keep waiting for someone to say like, no, here's something else. Not yet. Our other chain, which is transaction chain, we do what's called a layer two uh, or an off chain network where we can process very quickly, very cost effectively, but then we post onto, for example, Ethereum mainnet where it becomes publicly auditable. So 
imagine like a visa network that goes really fast, really cheap, but then the whole world can see that, yes, this is a compliant, although secure, no one can see what the transaction was. They know it was a valid transaction. So that's how we manage the, uh, if you will, the speed cost versus, if you will, energy consumption proof. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, this is really an intriguing platform, uh, as you describe, it has huge potential to help uh, billions of people. Um, what do you see as being the big roadblocks to your success? Well, if you will, user onboarding is always, uh, you know, like you said, we're after a billion or a couple of billion people. That takes some actual, you got to scan people in and actually register them. Um, so what we've done to, uh, if you'll anticipate that, is we're partnering with large organizations, right? We're partnering with governments and banks, lots of banks, right? We're the, the organizations that have reached to tens or hundreds of millions of users, right? Um, and giving them a platform to deliver functional value or even foundational value transfer. Now, once the users are on board, well, then they have control, they have self-destiny. Um, and so that's how we're going about uh, addressing that. Um, you know, simply doing remittances direct to consumer might be another way to go. And that just has a different, you know, uh, a user acquisition cost. Right. As you think about this, uh, you've designed this to be decentralized. You've talked about uh, creating a, uh, a, an authority structure where no organization, no government uh, has authority. Um, is that, does that make you the center of this universe? Does that make Everest the center of this universe? Uh, does Do two billion people become beholden to Everest? No, so what we've done with the identity chain, which is the key one, um, we've, if you will, created a proof of authority network where, if you will, there's lots of nodes owned by the nonprofit, so we're setting up a nonprofit entity that actually will control a lot of the authority on the nodes, right? And the criteria is you have to be uh, an NGO that's been in business uh, for at least 10 years um, or dedicated to economic development for at least the last 10 years, right? So we're not giving authority to banks, right? Which is key, right? If anyone's been paying attention to the last 400 years of history, like that's probably not a good idea right? Or governments, et cetera. So in a way, we're, we're taking a, that platform and we're giving it to the world as a public utility. Now, that nonprofit, we also made a governance structure where they don't have the authority. So we did sort of a, uh, you know, we don't have the authority, they don't have the authority, and the other partners that bring their nodes onto the network don't have the authority. Right. Um, and that gets into a little bit of, well, uh, proof of authority uh, algorithms and a little bit of legal finesse to make sure who has rights to do what. So if the system can't verify me, uh, let's just say I've been involved in a horrible accident. My fingers are burned. My face is burned. Face recognition doesn't work fingerprints don't work, how do you, how do I recapture my value? 
Good question. We actually just finished going over some of the governance uh, protocol on what do we do in these cases? Because actually that scenario actually has happened in India with the Aadhaar system. Um, right, poor woman actually couldn't get her pension fund. Um, we actually do have a protocol where it gets escalated, 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 where then um, the key holders uh, in, who have authority uh, come together and actually can resolve something like that. And so it would be a, we can't do it by ourselves as Everest, nor can the nonprofits, nor can the outside nodes. And so it, there is a coming together of, yes, we can actually do uh, recourse. And so if you get into digital identity, like recourse is required. Yeah. Now, when, uh, when someone dies and they have assets in their account, what happens? So, uh, just like a you know, living will, you actually have to have a contract that says, hey, if I no longer show up, my wallet goes to here, right? And you can set things up like that. Um, now, you say where we end up sort of longer term, uh, I think it's a metaphor worth mentioning is, uh, really, uh, I use the, my the, Digital identity is one piece, and I call it the operating system, right? It is, Windows in and of itself isn't terribly interesting, and it's not interesting to the couple of people at the bottom of the pyramid. But if you do Windows plus Microsoft Office, a whole set of suite of applications, that starts getting interesting and valuable to users. And so where we're headed is not only digital identity, which again, like here it is, public utility for the world can't be shut off. But then we start doing remittances, and microfinance and cash delivery for governments and NGOs, right? And again, like this is the most like people are like, how can I track funds? Well, cryptographic transaction to biometrically verified identities is about the most you can do. Um, so I think you'll start seeing us layer on lots of different applications and then also open it up to folks that, uh, if you will, know how to do land better than us, right? So we won't do the land application. We have partners that will, right? Insurance, credit scoring, all these things that literally like, that's not us, just like Microsoft doesn't do all their apps. Uh, we'll open it up and let other folks do uh, plenty of other apps. Fantastic. Well, Bob, what are you most proud of having accomplished so far? So, so far, um, taking it, if you will, from the garage, uh, couple of ideas and patents to actually getting one of the largest governments in the world to, you know, and these guys look at everything. They've seen every system that's ever existed on how to actually transfer value to hard to reach people. And we've got signed up two governments already. We have two of the largest banks uh, in the world that look at everything and have kicked tires and, you know, there's a certain amount of validation that comes with institutional buy-in, right? It's not three guys with a white paper going, I have a good idea. It is prototyped, installed, functional stuff that PhDs have kicked tires on and said, yes, we want to go ahead and, and scale this out. Um, beyond that, uh, the team. Literally, I think we've got one of the more remarkable teams out there. Um, uh, I think I'm just sort of the face on it right now, but uh, both our internal team that actually is building Everest and our advisors who are really active, um, 
are really, it's a testament as to where, you know, what we've built and where we're headed. Right. What's the most important lesson you've learned so far? Oh, it goes back to the, uh, the human and the communication element of it, right? Uh, the tech is easy, right? If we had billions of dollars, we'd simply go ahead and roll this out because I'm pretty sure the architecture is the right thing to do. But actually getting institutions to digest it and make sure that they see the value and that they can actually help their users, et cetera. So we have to get better uh, about communication and the human element um, to make sure that everyone's involved and uh, feel the whole ecosystem works for, for all the stakeholders. Bob, why did you get into this? Obviously, you're a super bright guy. You could be doing anything. Why this? You know, um, it's a combination of, uh, well, I was doing tech for, gosh, almost 20 years. Uh, found myself floating around the world, uh, if you will, in the Philippines and Ukraine and Istanbul and uh, parts of Africa. And I found the economic injustice almost intolerable. Uh, right. It just, uh, there's the, there's enough of us around that just look, we know it's wrong. We know the system's a little rigged and it became almost unbearable. Um, at the same time I saw, well, I think the first time ever, um, call it opportunity to solve that problem. Right. Which is lots of people have thought about this for a while. There's been multiple attempts and multiple really valiant, pretty good attempts. But to scale it and solve it on a multi-billion person level, I think is only possible now. And so what I'm seeing are two drivers. There is mass market biometrics with cloud. That is, you can take a smartphone and scan a face and a fingerprint and get really high fidelity, uh, right? Good enough for deduplication. Um, and the clouds so or distributed storage around the world, really cost effective. And the second driver is blockchain, right? Which is blockchain with tokenized money. So blockchain gets into the, if you will, the governance control and power of who runs this. And the tokenized money is actually really helpful in terms of digital wallets and moving, transferring value back and forth. So when you have both of those things happening at the same time, uh, you have what I call an Uber moment, right? That is, you couldn't do Uber until you had GPS chips in 95% of the phones. And as soon as that happens, you have more than, you know, a new company, you have a new industry, you have a new, you knew everything, right? Um, so that's why, if you will, uh, those are the things that led me to where I am uh, and bringing all this together. Well, fantastic. Bob, what is your superpower? Oh boy, my superpower. I've wondered this for years, but uh, from what I'm told, uh, the tech strategy broken down into tactical uh, ecosystem development seems to be it. That is, like I said, understanding that mass market biometrics with cloud and blockchain with governance tokenized money actually leads to something quite different. Right, it leads to a paradigm shift, really. Like it, 
we're not talking, it's the paradigm shift akin to like mainframes going to PC, except on a 400 year swing of, you know, centralized control. And breaking that down into, if you will, a business model where we can get a team and actually go out and do like, we're going to start with remittances. We're going to start with cash transfer. We're going to do some help. But overall, that ends up changing to lead to a brand new platform to run a good chunk of the global economy. So that, I'm told that not a lot of people do that. Very good. So, Bob, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks for uh, this. Before you go, would you take just a minute and tell people how they can learn more about Everest and connect with you personally? Yes, uh, go to everest.org, like Everest is in the mount. Uh, Everest.org gets to us. Uh, and I'm at, you know, I see everything that comes into info at uh, everest.org uh, email. Uh, I look at all those. Fantastic. Well, Bob, again, thank you very much for being with us today. We wish you every success in helping to connect the billions of people who are not connected to the global economy uh, and, and helping them come into the 21st century. Thank you. All righty. Let's do some good. A Caring Crowd, we believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. Devonthorpe's mission is to end extreme poverty, improve global health, and mitigate climate change before 2045 by finding and sharing the stories of those who are doing the most good. You can join with other listeners to accelerate Devon's mission by visiting helpdevon.org right now.